We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everyone, to the fourth episode of Big Blue Banter. Here with myself, Dan Schneier of Giants and 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, Giants reporter, and Nick Turchin, previewing training camp, diving deep into some of the defensive schemes and what we expect to see from new defensive coordinator James Betcher in 2018. But mostly I'm just pumped because football's almost back. Giants training camp is in less than 24 hours. The first practice in about 48, actually less than 48 hours right now. It's almost here, the training camp grind, the preseason, the regular season. This is what I'm most excited to live. I'm not going to lie. Just going to lay it all out there like that. Nick, take it over before I gush too and wax too much poetic about this coming football season. I like it, man. I like the enthusiasm. You know, it's also coming on uh, today's Tuesday, so it's Taco Tuesday, but as well, National Tequila Day. So it's really just a win-win all around. Uh Oh, you want to dive right into it. All right, well, listen, (laughs) Nick wants to dive right into it, and I get it. We've got a big show coming. There's a lot of stuff we're going to talk about with Betcher's defense. Before we get into that, and it will play into it, we've got to talk about the news because, listen, it's Dave Gettleman. It's the new Giants era. There's no more standing pat. I've never seen a more aggressive (laughs) Giants offseason since I started covering this team, but Gettleman doesn't lay. He's he's not lying around. He's Like he said after the draft, we're going to continue – to improve this roster. Rome wasn't built in a day. That's what he said, at least. And listen, it makes sense when you see what he's done. Just a few weeks ago, he spent his third-round pick in 2019 and the third-round pick of the 2018 supplemental draft on cornerback Sam Bill out of, Beal out of Western Michigan, a guy I'm very excited for. When you look at his coverage stats, taking a look at pro football focus, he was pretty damn locked down last season, obviously playing in a smaller conference, but performed at his best against USC and Sam Darnold. And then just 
Days later, last night, we heard the news of the Giants signing Connor Barwin, the edge rusher, the outside linebacker slash defensive end, and we'll dive into what I mean by that soon. Um, but first, I want to toss it to Nick and, and ask you kind of, what do you think the Giants are going to get out of Barwin this season? And at the same time, what kind of impact can he make for the Giants in 2018? You know, I think he, you know, he stands to to have a pretty big impact, not only for his veteran presence in a 31-year-old, you know, multiple-year veteran in the locker room, uh, but on the field, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's what, 6'2", I want to say, 250 or so. So he's almost slightly undersized for the defensive end position uh, or the edge rusher position, I should say. Uh, but, you know, against the run where I'll start, um, you know, he really stands out. He engages – really hands first pretty often. He has a really good stance with slight lean forward, likes to play long. That's kind of the big thing. Big, my big point here um, likes to play with his, with his arms extended and helps him see the play more, helps him break away from tackles more or anyone trying to block the edge. Um, he's very good technically and contain. And this is what the giants need. Now it kind of gets into strategically what the Giants or schematically what the giants are doing on the on this side of the uh, of the defense, which would which will probably be the strong side because that's the side he played last uh, last year in Wade Phillips is very similar three four one gap scheme. That's what Betcher has three four one gap scheme, and uh, so uh, it, in the rush he would often he that that strong side defensive end plays over or near the tight end uh, on the closed side of the field, so kind of has to deal with him. Can often take on double teams potentially an outside zone. And, you know, this is this is a good thing. This is a, or his experience at the run is a really good thing for the Giants, something I don't think they did as well last year. I think James Pierre-Paul uh, played that position well, but inconsistently um, comparatively to, I think, I think how, how, uh, how Barwin can. And on the pass rushing side of things, he's a he's a he's a he's a veteran with good speed really kind of has good speed to power rushes his speed to power rush where he crosses face of the of the tackle getting to the inside part of the field he had what five sacks last year i believe five um, sacks correct yeah and and coming from you know he wasn't he, he played the majority the vast majority of snaps um for the rams but they rotated guys in as well so it wasn't like you know it, it's not like how the giants have played in the last couple of years where you're constantly seeing the same two out on the edge right and uh, the other thing i just wanted to kind of touch in on a lot of guys are making the big deal of Hey, you know, he's a three, four outside linebacker edge, edge player. You know, how does he play in, how does he put, you know, is, is he used to playing in a two point stance, a three point stance and kind of what's happened in the modern NFL is that that outside edge position has really totally converged. So the difference between a four, three edge defender and a three, four, one gap scheme edge defender is virtually is, is very, very little. If you take a look last year for what the giants or how the giants played in a four, three, under uh, front most of the time they, they play four three over as well um uh ov vernon last year he actually had a 612 snaps 221 of them came as what pro football focus calls an olb which means he's playing in a two-point stance so that's a third of the snaps where a four three defensive end is playing um with is playing standing up and when you play standing up um, your vision and your view to the field changes, your angles that you can take um, from a pass rushing perspective changes. But the difference, or the, my point is it's very similar to the 3-4, and you're doing this in both base and nickel. Um, both Betcher and Spagnola had those edge rushers standing up and go and, and in two, and a three-point and four-point stances in both sub-packages and base personnel. Right, and we're talking about a guy who played actually 61% of the snaps last season with the Rams, still had five sacks, 
earn positive grades and pass coverage. So don't expect him to be some kind of liability there for the Giants when he is asked to drop. And this is a guy who has 55 and a half career sacks, 31 of those with the Eagles. And remember, this is not a Giants team flush with pass rushers. You know, entering 2018, before they signed Barwin, there wasn't a single player on the roster with five NFL sacks in a single season until they added Connor Barwin, who's added 10 sacks and a limited role the past two seasons. And I think, like you said, Nick, the role, you know, that edge role is not much different now that they're playing a one-gap scheme, which is obviously different even than what they played last season, what they played under Bill Belichick in their old-school 3-4 defense with Bill Parcells. And my question for you is, I believe that Barwin will actually mix in also at that five-tech position. Do you think that's possible in some certain packages, or is he going to be kind of more limited to, you know, that out, that left outside linebacker role in Betcher's scheme? And that, and like you said, which will also be playing on the end of the end of the line at times. Yeah, uh, I think I would say in base playing that five-tech position, I would say no. Uh, so the three-four base, um, that five-tech needs to be kind of stronger and, and, and have a little bit more lower body um, kind of strength to be able to be more of a kind of an anchor against the run almost um, right. those strong side runs. So I wouldn't really see it there. I think that, you know, once you start getting into what Betcher will get into, uh, you know, changing the fronts up within sub package, he could definitely play from that five tech. It gets into kind of what the defender, what the defender does best. And that's what I see Betcher do often that, you know, if, if Barwin likes to, rush that close to the tackle and if he knows he's going to be one-on-one and he wants that power rush or that power to then speed move inside maybe that's where he goes but for the most part the film that i saw um he's usually playing seven tech or wider at the outside position yeah and you did a great job on twitter last night of actually breaking down some film i know i retweeted a bunch of it i mean sorry to the fans who i put through the stress of having to see bobby hart in a (laughs) one-on-one pass production situation for hopefully the last time Certainly the last time in a Giants uniform, hopefully the last highlight of any Bobby Hart game tape that you'll ever have to watch. But it was interesting to watch Connor Barwin kind of take advantage of the angles that the Giants were playing uh, in pass production to get the sack on Eli Manning, really beat Hart right off the bat. But I thought the more interesting clip that you posted was actually another clip where Connor Barwin kind of set the edge and did an excellent job using his length in the run game to stop an outside run. Uh, the Jaguars tried to run actually behind a pulling guard, Patrick Omeme, who's out, who's now uh, <laughs> going to be the starting right guard for the Giants. So don't don't panic. Don't look at that game tape and rule out Omeme. I actually think he has a really, really good chance to be one of the best value additions of the, if not the best value addition of the entire offseason, maybe Maybe slightly edging out Lorenzo Carter is probably my pick if push came to shove, but we'll we'll touch on that later. But yeah, so so I'm I'm definitely excited about the signing. I think it could be more than just a depth backup signing. I think he can really work his way into this rotation and become a major fit for the Giants. Remember, this is a guy who fits their offseason trend. He was the defensive captain for the Rams last offseason. What have the Giants done all offseason? They've brought in defensive captains, Alec Ogletree, Nate Solder, Jonathan Stewart, Michael Thomas. These guys were all captains at some point uh, in recent seasons. And he also has experience playing with Alec Ogletree, who we played with last season on the Rams' defense. And that's obviously going to help him as well, even though we do – have you know believe that based on what we've seen in practice, Ogletree is going to be playing kind of that weak side inside linebacker position, which we'll touch on later. But I think again, this is going to be a signing that people are going to look back on and say, 
this was a key signing if the Giants are to make that play that unexpected playoff run from three wins to a playoff team like the Rams did last season and like obviously several other teams have been able to do in recent seasons. Um, but one thing I wanted to talk about as we dive a little bit deeper into this Giants defensive scheme previewing training camp, which is on its way tomorrow, is how I've, you know, through my study, I've kind of noticed, you know, James Betcher, one of the main things that's going to be different about this defense is going to be that it's going to be the fact that he's going to blitz early and often this season. Um, just looking at the stats behind it, Betcher blitzed, Betcher finished in the top uh, top three, each of his defenses, sorry, each of his defenses finished in the top three of blitz percentage over each of his past three seasons coordinating the Arizona Cardinals. Now you look at Steve Spagnuolo last season and he blitzed on only 28%, 28.2% of dropbacks. Um, and by blitzing, we mean just sending more than four pass rushers. And that was slightly below the league average, according to Pro Football Focus. But Betcher blitzed on 36.6% of dropbacks. So this is going to be the main key that I think changes in this defense. I mean, Landon Collins dropped a hint on this earlier this offseason that not many picked up on when he was at the Giants town hall meeting for fans in New York City. And he said, we've even confused Eli more than I've ever noticed since joining the Giants because we're, we've got five guys on the line of scrimmage. We got, sorry, we got more than five guys on the line of scrimmage every play or sorry, not on the line of scrimmage, blitzing on every play. So, you know, with five guys coming on every play, it gives the quarterback more to think about on each single snap. So Kind of wanted to dive into this and ask you, you know, how will his blitzes differ from Steve Spagnuolo? Because I've talked about it in the past with you, how Spags used to run those delayed blitzes and send guys from different spots. Uh, but kind of dive into what what we mean when we say, okay, this team's going to blitz more, but how is it going to be different than the blitzes we've seen? Yeah, sure. For uh, uh, for those that haven't seen, I actually wrote a couple pieces on this over at Cover One, so kind of doing a little hitting on touching on some of the parts that I that I that I hit on in those articles, uh, which specifically dealt with the defensive backs and the differences there between Spags and Betcher. But here we'll jump into with the linebackers too, because it it is kind of critical. Just real quick, I guys know this in terms of Spags, but you know, coming with from his background from Jimmy Johnson in Philadelphia, you know, great defensive coordinator. He was really revolutionary for all types of blitzing, blitzing specifically though. Uh, defensive backs and and uh, showing that double a gap look to start um <clears throat> one of the kind of the hallmarks i would say uh, of the spagnola blitz was to overload or show an overload on one side of the line pre-snap and this is pretty simplistic but getting the offensive line to adjust by by calling a slide to that side to the overload side and then sending a delayed defensive back blitz from the opposite side of the field and so on that side of the line, usually you only have one or two blockers, <clears throat> excuse me, max on that side of the field. And these this, this these type of blitzes were very effective against five and seven step drops where the QB was looking to push the ball downfield through multiple reads. And again, I'm simplifying this, but the the with in the in a little bit more of the modern era with the quick game as prevalent as it is today with what over you know it's a crazy number like seventy percent of of throws are under 10 yards, This that quick game nullified that type of delayed pressure, um, right. or at least it has for the most part. Fast forward to kind of how Betcher runs things. It's not to be a direct critic because obviously Spags is a great coach. And I throughout all this, I didn't want to be basically, you know, bashing Spags to say, no, Betcher's the new guy in town. It's going to be much better. But his blitzing tendencies are as, as, <clears throat> as Dan mentioned, excuse me, are much more are, are much more straightforward. And when I say straightforward, meaning he blitzes 
he he likes to show the blitzers that are going to come, or at least show a group of blitzers that are going to come from the line of scrimmage and kind of have the have the offensive line pick who they want to block and have the offensive line know that oh, that the blitzer is very good in coverage as well good uh, in getting downhill and getting straight after the quarterback. And that kind of gets into like the whole idea of having versatile defensive backs or linebackers that can cover or get downhill after the quarterback very effectively. And that's not very easy to do, um, you know, not to criticize, but if you pull up some of the old Giants tape from the last two years, you see some secondary members kind of getting touched, you know, kind of very lightly by a blocker and falling over. Holding your balance through contact is very hard and blitzing when you're not used to doing it. Most of the guys that blitz for Betcher blitz often. And they get better and better at their technique. So his, in my opinion, in my opinion, his system allows the, the the guys who do things well to do them more often, and that leads to higher success, at least in my mind. Um, so most of Betcher's uh, blitzes come from a call it a defensive back or or a strong safety that's near the line of scrimmage. And teams that line up in with wings or tight slot uh, receivers are vulnerable to this because. It's very. It's an easy angle and an easy excuse for the strong safety to be near, or the sorry, the nickelback to be near the line of scrimmage in that case. And that was really uh, Matthew in in Arizona, kind of taking that position last year. And he's a guy who's only five nine, one hundred eighty five pounds, but that guy brings it when he brings it. And you know they saw a lot of success there. So that's one part of what they do. Yeah, exactly. And you know this goes in line, Nick, with what. Betcher was saying when he arrived at Giants training camp yesterday, he had an interview on Giants.com that I listened to. He basically said, listen, quarterbacks are simply too smart these days. You can't, you know, these delayed blitzes, these, these tricky blitzes aren't getting there anymore. They're seeing them before they get there and they're getting rid of the football quick. So what he's, his goal is on every single play is to bring enough pressure, bring enough pass rushers that he will get a one-on-one matchup. He just wants those one-on-one matchups. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science. He's not coming out here and saying he's going to trick you. He's going to do all sorts of loops, like you said, in the backfield and different ways of, you know, confusing a quarterback. He's not worried about confusing the quarterback. He doesn't even care about that. He just simply says, we're going to line up. We're going to get those one-on-one matchups and we're going to win those one-on-one matchups because he is confident. And guys like, even like guys like Dalvin Tomlinson, Damon Harrison, these guys are going to get more one-on-one pass rushing situations than they've ever had in their career. Now they're not going to automatically, he's not going to turn them into pass rush first defensive linemen, obviously, but they're going to get more opportunities than they ever have. And one interesting area I wanted to ask you about, because it's something that I noticed Throughout spring practices, you're talking about minicamp before the draft, you know, OTAs after the draft, and even the mandatory minicamp, there was a lot of A-gap blitzing. This is something that, you know, Mike Zimmer likes to run in his 4-3 defensive scheme in Minnesota. You know, the double A-gap, the single A-gap blitzing. It's something that obviously Jim Johnson, C. Spagnuolo like to use. But I think that Betcher is going to do it in a different way and kind of break that down for us how – if he does plan to blitz those inside linebackers, you know, Alec Ogletree, probably the fastest and blitzing linebacker he's the Giants have had in years, uh, in all honesty, on the interior at least. And then Goodson, who also showed well as a, as a pass rusher in limited snaps uh, last season. So tell us kind of how he Betcher plans to use his A-gap blitzing and how it might be different than what Giants fans are, have gotten used to under Spagnolo. Yeah, sure. So the uh, one of the big differences is that kind of what Dan's saying is that the Ogletree or Goodson would be coming from the stacked linebacker position, and usually the two ILBs. Um, again, this is in three-four base or in nickel sub package. Either way, there's going to be two stacked linebackers. 
Um, usually they're playing like a 40 tech or, or closer, meaning basically from the offensive tackles inside shoulder and, and closer to, to the center of the field. Um, and where I saw it last year, if you want to take a look at Wade or take just, for example, Wade Phillips's defense using Ogletree, Ogletree for the most part of last season played on the strong side, except for third down situations where he moved to the weak side often. So when you're on the weak side of the stack backer position, um, you're, you're away from the tight end most of the time. So the tight end, tight end, or tight end coverage responsibilities go elsewhere. Usually you're kind of checking the running back or you're on a read rush where if he blocks, you get to rush as well. So it's almost, in some ways, it's almost like a default fifth rusher is kind of automatically set up. And why I like moving Ogletree for the most part to the weak side, uh, which it seems to be what they were doing in, in camp, um, is because, number one, that Goodson's a great tackler on the strong side. So it kind of, it, they both both backers will complement each other. But that getting back to the blitz, the blitz will come in either the A or B gap to the weak side. And oftentimes, you know, again, they can obviously adjust for that, but you'll usually get a one-on-one matchup. And what that also means, though, is you'll get a one-on-one matchup on the other weak side rushers. And most of the time, that will mean OV. And I think most of the time, that'll mean the three-tech. They'll play the three-tech. He'll move the three-tech all around. But for the most part, I think it'll be OV three-techs like Tomlinson and uh, and and guys like McIntosh on sub-package if he can get in and get healthy. And that, to me... <clears throat> Forget all other schemes. That's that's a pretty that's a pretty good three rushers that against any weak side protection package is going to be is going to be a good a good way to generate consistent pressure because a lot of guys talk about that like how do these giants get consistent pressure? Forget all the schemes. Forget rushing six. We, they you know they remember great Spagnolo teams that got it on their own with the, with their own front four. I think this defense can offer an easy fifth option. But as well, um, the, the way it'll structurally be set up, the, the success will come as more reps come throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, that's how I see it happening, too. And you bring up a great point. When you got when you have that A-gap blitz coming from the weak side and you've got Ogletree, you've got OV, who's really going to be set up to be the Chandler Jones of this defense, the guy who gets the most one-on-one matchups, you're going to put – you're going to see a lot of interesting, you know, production from Dalvin Thomas as a pass rusher. No one's expecting it, but you're going to be surprised because this is a guy who – Got more consistent pressure at Alabama than anyone realized, especially considering the position he played. Um, got some pressure last season, but really wasn't used in the same role that will be used in this season. It was really, really going to be a, a very different role. He even said, he said, I'm loving this new defense. It's a lot like what we played at Alabama. Now, he was playing more of Damon Harrison's position at Alabama, but he had some snaps at the at the you know three tech that he's going to be playing and you brought up an interesting point that fifth round rookie McIntosh who we've talked a lot about um <laughs> finally signed his contract his rookie yeah. deal he had some sort of issue this offseason Gettleman made mention that it might have been the thyroid issue but he lost a lot of weight it's going to take him a little bit longer to get into the mix but he's somebody who I'm really intrigued by if they can get in and get going because like you said if you have a sub package on specific passing downs where you've got Ogletree, you've got McIntosh instead of Tomlinson at that three technique, and then OV coming off one edge, it's going to be really difficult for defenses to, I mean, for opposing offensive lines to, to, to figure out and to get, you know, blocked up in pass protection. Now, you also made mention of something interesting a few minutes ago when you said, you know, Tomlin, uh, sorry, Tyron Matthew was blitzing a lot out of that position last season, and that's kind of the role we expect out of Landon Collins, correct, to be in that sort of role. But one interesting thing is a guy who right after the June 15th minicamp 
drew a lot of individual praise from defensive coordinator James Betcher is Curtis Riley, a guy they signed from the Tennessee Titans, a guy who played with the defensive back coach uh, of the Giants, Giants defensive back coach now when he was with Tennessee, a guy who converted from cornerback to safety and now may be playing in a similar role to what we're expecting because he was playing a ton around the line of scrimmage in the mini camp, um, kind of in that big nickel role. So kind of tell me, are the, do you expect that role to be filled, you know, to be – filled by mostly Collins, or is that something we're going to see Riley kind of get involved with as well? No, that's cool. I learned stuff on this podcast, so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I'm here. I didn't know Riley was around the line of scrimmage. That's, uh, I thought he, I envisioned him more as the kind of the, the, the rangy free safety. But No, this, no, not they, at all, actually. Yeah, they, they, I thought so too because obviously the don't, – don't knock yourself. I thought so as well because obviously the conversion from cornerback to safety. Yeah. But, you know, after minicamp, he was seeing – starting to mix in with that first-team defense in specific packages and playing around the line of scrimmage. That's the key thing, I think, is also the versatility because I think we know that he has range, right? Maybe he hasn't played the free free safety position, but Betcher moved these guys around, as we've talked about um, a lot in Arizona with, you know, with, with guys with different looks. So I think, you know, to answer the question, I think it's going to be mostly Collins, but – you have to look. Collins plays pretty well from from the from the deep safety or the the right. quote unquote too high safety position, um, well as well. And what the other thing too, I just wanted to bring up. I was breaking down one whole game every snap for Arizona, and I didn't know this. Um, I didn't realize this. They play a lot more too high than people realize. And one thing they tend to do is take their free safety and play him very deep to the weak side of the field, and then play their um, their or sorry, they're free safety very deep to the field side of the field, so the wide side of the field, wherever that is. And then their other safety plays in a shallower too high safety, about 10 to 12 yards off the line of scrimmage, to the shorter side of the field, kind of in a position to kind of jump slant routes on that. So like a robber roll almost? A little bit. And so it's like he's preempting the robber roll. And whether he goes to robber, buzz safety, or – not really blitzer from there because, like we said, he usually blitzes from line of scrimmage. Right. But um, uh, or specifically in man covering for someone blitzing on the field on the closed side of the field or on the short side of the field. You know, it's like a very flexible right. position. And you know, again, I I think that's what most people don't realize is it's not going to be a lot of the single high with everyone pressed looks. He does throw them. He does show them, but it's not. It's it's actually a lot more of. A, you know, kind of a, 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 a cheat almost to get to cover three buzz or to cover one robber. Interesting. That is going to be super interesting because I assume, honestly, that'll be kind of Landon Collins' role. Uh, that seems to make the most sense. Obviously, they'll mix and match. They'll have him in more of that deep safety role at times, but that should be extremely interesting. And, yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about the single high, and that's something that, you know, it's a buzz, it's a buzz term that got kind of, you know, pin to Betcher, but no defensive coordinators running single high, like a vast majority of their snaps. That's like, you know, I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong about that, but that seems like a, you know, death wish to run it like a vast majority of your snaps. Is that, is that right? I think there's a lot of guys that are, that, that's, that not still embrace it. There's, you know, if you look in the whole cover one, cover three tradition coming out of Seattle, um, those guys playing. Right, right. But what's interesting is you look at the number of cover two played by the Jacksonville Jaguars last last year, and it's something like top five in the uh, in, in terms of numbers for defenses. So defenses that play zone rotate a lot of different types of zone. The only key that I'll kind of make to Pete or kind of mention to people is if you play single high, it kind of means it's either going to be cover one or cover three. It's very hard right. to get the other thing. If you play too high, it can be anything. 
And not to knock Eli Manning, but that's actually one of the things that maybe hurt Eli Manning a little bit in the last couple of years is 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 having to have that guesswork to confirm coverage after the line of scrim after the snap um, to 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 verify coverage from too high. It's it's it takes a little bit more time. Yeah, and maybe we'll have to then go ahead and just edit out that previous comment by me <laughs> <laughs> showing my lack of information on the cover on the on the single high. But I will say this. Uh, as a point to your Eli Manning comment, and that's you know really been the Giants' biggest issue in this in this Ben McAdoo offense over the past two seasons. It's teams are just simply playing too high, playing different styles of cover two looks, and there was no real way to beat it without any kind of run game. And when you're only using you know five guys in pass protection, so that's going to change this season. Eli Manning is was super excited about. It. He talked about it a little bit earlier this month when he was like, listen, we got Barkley now, and I think that's going to be the final solution. We finally figure out how to beat this cover, too. It's been haunting us. You know, they drafted Evan Ingram to beat the cover, too, and then they didn't use him to beat the cover, too, in their in their whole scheme. So, you know, hopefully Barkley will be the guy, but more importantly, I think it'll be, you know, the difference between Ben McAdoo and Ben McAdoo's offensive scheme and calling the plays and Pat Shermer's offensive scheme and calling the plays. And listen, I'm not saying that to knock McAdoo, but I'm also not not saying that to knock McAdoo. Um, <laughs> anyway, I want to introduce one more concept before we kind of dive into my fi- the final segment of the show, which is the most fun, which is going to be, you know, what I'm most excited for and what you're most excited for in training camp to see. But before we do that, you know, there's a lot of talk in Betcher's defense. I'm going to go through the last, the final buzzword of Betcher's defense. We wanted to get all in on this defense and break it down in depth. Hopefully we've done that today. But we can't do that without at least touching on the money backer position. This is something that basically is supposedly unique to his scheme. You know, Dion Buchanan is the guy who used to run this position, you know, who ran this position in Arizona. Um, I don't even, you know, I tried to look into this. There's so little out there on this because he wasn't talking much about it. And I think the best way for us to get, you know, to down to the nitty and gritty of this is to ask you, somebody who's watched the tape, who's watched this defense and who's kind of been able to focus on Buchanan's role in that defense. And my question for you is, one, what is that position? And two, is he going to use that with the Giants or is he going to go away from that with the Giants? And if he does, who's going to be playing in that role? And, and you know, is it going to be on all defensive backers? I know I just asked a lot there, but I need a lot on this. So let me know. Got it. So yeah, the uh, my second piece or my second part of the Cover One uh, Cover One dot net um, two part preview that I did on the blitzing talks about um, the betweeners bastion of uh, the defensive back the defensive backfield for the Cardinals and now will be the Giants. And basically, what we're talking about here is in a three four base, the weak side inside linebacker, which we've kind of described and touched on before. Or in nickel, which is played basically on well over 50% of snaps on average in the NFL because most NFL teams play 11 personnel with three wide receivers over 50% or right around 50% of the time. So you're talking about you know a, a very high amount of the time in nickel, that weak side backer. And the reason why you'd want that weak side backer um, or the weak side backer gets the money backer kind of uh, connotation is their versatility to both – <clears throat> do kind of everything. And if you look about look at traditionally how linebackers have stacked up in the stack, you know, you're talking about guys that, you know, back 10, 5, 10 years ago were all over 240 pounds. Were all not I don't want to say slow footed, but they were run defenders. They were run defenders first. And guys like Brian Urlacher that could uh, you know cover in space or Lance Briggs, they were seen as like kind of outliers. That has now changed so that the linebackers, you know, specifically if you look at guys like 
you know, look at Carolina's linebacking group. I mean, all those guys can cover in zone and cover his space like like at, like out of control. The money backer just takes that same idea but applies it specifically to the weak side. So in Arizona, we're talking about Buchanan, like Dan mentioned, or um, in Wade Phillips's defense, we're talking about Mark Barron, guys who <clears throat> basically are ex-safeties. And the trick for the Giants, what's nice for the Giants is, so is Alec Ogletree. Um, he played safety in college and converted there. So what you're seeing is guys that are 230-ish pounds. I think Ogletree's a touch over that and smaller. And since they are on the weak side, it doesn't mean they're facing less runs or more runs. It's it's about it's 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 kind of about the same, I would say, for both sides. Um, but most of the time, playing the weak side and with the flexibility to go cover the corner to go cover a slot receiver, to get a full cover down on the slot receiver, meaning move out on him if need be, if it's a two-by-two formation. Uh, so that flexibility in the stack position frees up the um, – basically, the best way to say it is it frees up the the coordinator to not have to dedicate a, um, a, a defensive back to do so. Uh, so this really kind of came in light there. The, I want to say, you know, not to really – jump into Mark Barron, but the weakness of the Rams last year was clearly the weak side of the running game, uh, not just because of Mark Barron, but partially because of that, because you do have an undersized guy there, and Barron comes in, I think, around 220 and, and brings the lumber when he does. But the bottom line is you have, you're, 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 lowering the, uh, you're lowering the size, roughly, but this guy can do many things. And, you know, I think for the Giants this year, what I see, and we kind of touched upon it right before, is the strong side backer is going to be um, – is going to be Goodson, B.J. Goodson. And I think, you know, at 240 pounds plus, that guy really is almost the better version of what Ogletree was last year for the Rams because he was playing the strong side mostly on early downs. And I think that the weak side backer will be, uh, you know, predominantly be Ogletree. So playing that, mon- that, that money back, that versatile role, and basically moving all – it's going to put a lot of pressure on him, yes, and they're going to want depth at that position over time. But I think that's one of the reasons why they signed him was was – was to get surety in that position in a spot where he can flourish from both blitzing coverage and in run support from a sideline to sideline perspective. Exactly, Nick. And be about to understand, you know, the Giants didn't just trade for Ogletree willy-nilly. They traded for him because Fetcher has a lot of experience watching Ogletree, including one play where he had a pick six against Fetcher, the, you know, the Arizona Cardinals offense last season. And Fetcher yeah, was on really the sideline. Watch that one. Extremely athletic play. And you know he has in mind that I want to run that money back position in my defense, and I got a guy to do it, and I know who he is, and let's go get him. And that's what Gettleman did. And I just wanted to bring up the money backer thing because I know there's a lot of people out there who think that it's kind of a role that they envision for Landon Collins um, because of, like you said, it's basically there's been converted safeties in it. Buchanan was a converted safety, obviously. Um, Ogletree will be was originally a converted safety. Um, but that's just not the case. I mean, Collins is not going to be playing that role. So Nick kind of did an excellent job there breaking it down for you guys and for me because now, while I knew, you know, before this, because me and Nick, you know, we talked before we go on the pod that, you know, this wasn't a role for Collins. It's good to hear it broken down in that way. Um, so at this point, we're going to dive into training camp stuff that I'm most excited for, that Nick's most excited for, you know, position battles, fights, players who will shine in pads. I'm going to try to do this in a little snake draft format. Um, and obviously, we will be back soon once training camp comes underway. There's going to be a lot more to talk about. We still promised you a full breakdown of Saquon Barkley, and we will get to that. We will do more offense. But we did want to kind of give you an idea of what this defense is going to look like. It's going to be very different. The scheme is very different than what they're used to. You know, offenses can change, and they will, and that's going to be a major change for the Giants' offense. But there's still going to be some route concepts that the Giants have used 
um, that they'll continue to use um, in 2018. But this defense is going to be a lot different. So the thing that I'm most excited for going into training camp, I'm going to kick us off, Nick, all right? And it's not even the most heated training camp battle. It's not. This is going to – this, you know, he may not win this battle, but I'm most excited to see Lorenzo Carter, the third-round rookie. This is a guy who I said after the draft, this will go down as their best value pick. That's my opinion. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I uh, just got to He's going to be the best value pick. That doesn't mean he's the best player, okay? Barkley's going to be the best player in this draft. But come on. We obviously know that. I mean, as long as he doesn't get hurt, he's going to be the best player. That's – that's clear. I mean, come on. Lorenzo Carter would be drafted top 10 if he had nearly the kind of talent that Barkley has, but uh, respect to positions. But I love this Lorenzo Carter kid. Here's a kid who I watch a lot of, and I don't watch tape like you do, Nick, but I try to get into it. I saw his Notre Dame game. I saw a few other games. I saw the, the game against Oklahoma. I saw just a bunch of different games from him, probably about six games from 2017 and 2016 seasons combined. Um, as much as I get my hands on. This is a guy who I just love his skill set for this new defense. We just talked about the entire podcast about how much Betcher values versatility, the ability to line up on that line of scrimmage and either drop in coverage seamlessly or rush the passer. And that's something he can do. He was excellent in coverage at Georgia. He was used all over the formation, a lot of chase and pursuit. And most importantly for me is he's a guy who was the sixth most efficient pass rusher on a per snap basis. Now, I don't judge pass rushing efficiency like most NFL fans do. Don't give me sacks. I don't care about sacks. Since you, if anyone knows me, if anyone's followed me since the original days working for Fox Sports covering just the NFL in a whole, you'll know that I'm one of the biggest proponents of, of quarterback pressures, quarterback hurries, and quarterback hits. Don't talk sacks to me. I want the hurries. I want the hits. I want the plays that force the quarterback to make errant throws that lead to incompletions, that lead to mistimed throws, that you know can lead to interceptions, hit passes, uh, you know throwing underneath instead of taking big plays for the first down. That's what I want. And you know Carter on a per snap basis got the six most total pressures of any player in this draft class. So this is a guy who you know you could see it when he was lining up in the OTA and spring practices, he had a lot of burst out line of scrimmage, but you know, this spring practices are not great for offensive linemen and defensive linemen. You know, they just aren't, there's no pads, there's no hitting. So I'm excited to finally see him get in the pads and see what he can do against these offensive tackles. Um, so you can touch on Carter if you want, or anyone else or any battle that you're excited to see right now, Nick, that's going to get you going. Can't uh, you can't bring up Carter and then not have me add that the Notre Dame game that you saw? I mean, how many times did they not block him? And yeah, there was a lot of unblocked snaps. I'll give and, you that. And, but well, but my point though is, it's actually <laughs> still great closure there because they kept on running right. to run the threat of the boot, and then when he would boot, he he made Wimbush pay. And this is a guy who did it legally. You know, how many? Pen- I don't think he had any penalties in that game. And it was just something. It was really interesting to see because although, like you said, he didn't have the stats, it's like. Try try being Wimbush that game, like getting crushed in the ribs that many times. Like that that's right. he's this type of player where it's like you're gonna you're you're gonna see results over the course of a game. And and yeah, so so you know, really kind of psyched to see him specifically though too. I think you gotta mention that Barwin now brings a different element to Carter because if they're both gonna play on the same side, I think they will, by the way, they're both gonna play the strong side. That's huge. I mean, you're just getting a guy with you know a really, really, you know, a really good veteran helping out a guy like that. And a lot of times too, you know, a lot of fans don't realize a lot of these guys come and it's not that they're unprepared at the NFL level, but it's hard to become a professional as well. Their techniques all need to be honed and and perfected. And a lot of times they don't get that in practice because so much of practice ends up being scheme. 
So anyway, I think that's a that's a huge a huge get for them or a that's huge a great t- point there, Nick. And you know, I wasn't even thinking about that. We're talking about borrowing a guy with fifty five and a half career sacks. Obviously, not the most athletic, right? Game. So you know, he's done it with technique and he's done it with smarts, and that's a great point. He can really be that mentor. That Carter's going to need at that outside linebacker position. And, yes, they're both going to play that strong side, which also makes me wonder, though. You know, you got Carter. You got Barwin. You also have Kareem Martin, who was signed to play that strong side. Are one of those guys going to flip over behind Vernon on the weak side? It's something to think about. You know, they're all kind of best suited for that strong side, which brings me to starting to wonder, okay, maybe – just maybe Martin will kind of kick back into where he started his career with the Cardinals at that five-technique defensive end position yep. instead of the outside linebacker position. Because, I mean, there was one snap uh, in in uh, spring practices where Martin was kind of, you know, I think they were running the smash route, actually, or some kind of vertical route with Ingram. They weren't very specific. You know, you couldn't really figure it out from practice. But he was matched up with Ingram in one-on-one coverage on a, on a vertical route. And Ingram got like four yards of separation. I mean, Martin's a 280 pound guy playing, playing a little bit of linebacker. So it's It'll be interesting to see if he kicks inside with the addition of Barwin. Um, you know, and I, you know, I'm also really excited to see just kind of the battles on the line. Mike Shula talked about it, you know, yesterday when he said, you know, what, you know, they asked him like, what, are, what, what are you most excited for about training camp? What's the biggest difference? What's going to be the biggest jump from what we saw in the spring? He said the offensive line, like point blank, the offensive line haven't gotten into it at all yet. Then, you know, we haven't learned anything about the O line. You start learning stuff about the O line in training camp, and I can't wait to see these battles between Hernandez and Snacks. Like, you know, at the end of June mini camp, these two got into a ridiculous fight like that shouldn't have went down like Sherman was like after practice Sherman was like yeah I like the fight sort of but don't swing your helmet at the guy (laughs) that's what Harrison did swinging his helmet at Hernandez those fights aren't gonna go away those are chippy players both of them like they're gonna be going against each other all throughout practice I cannot wait to see that battle um but as far as just the rest of the offensive line goes it's gonna be really interesting because you know I there's a lot of confidence in this Giants offensive line and to me there's no real reason for it just yet. Yes, so there's a massive upgrade at left tackle. Yes, Hernandez is probably even going to be a massive upgrade, and I can say that even though he's a rookie. But that rest of that offensive line from the center on to the right tackle has big question marks for me. I like Omeme at right guard, Patrick Omeme, and I believe that's how you pronounce his name. People have gotten on me for that pronunciation at times on Facebook Live, but I'm telling you, I think it's Omeme. We'll find out soon. Soon we're going to hear that name said by a coach. I still, I've been waiting for a giant coach to say his name in a presser so I can get it down, but we'll find out. But anyway, I got confidence in him, but I do not have confidence in Eric Flowers, the right tackle. Sure, he'll get some help finally from a coach who's going to use some guys in pass protection to help out, um, not just five, but I still don't have confidence in him, especially in the run game. That's where I was really disappointed with Flowers last season as a run blocker. So, I mean, he was decent in early in his career and really – struggled with in 2017 and then at center that's where i have my biggest worry sure jalapio's moving up the jet chart he's looking interesting but you know I, we hate ben mcadoo and ben mcadoo said i don't trust jalapio they'll probably have to go with jones he didn't even mention jalapio said i don't trust the other guy and so that's kind of bs because he's coaching for two years but aside from that i mean it's it's not we, we, we can't just jump into this thinking jalapio can make this magical transition from Former six-round pick who was released by multiple teams, a street-free agent, signs with the Giants as a guard. Now all of a sudden he's their starting center and he's great at it. I can't make that leap just yet. I need to see it in training camp. And Jones is a guy who I think is really undersized, and I, you know, he's okay. He's an okay player, but he worries me as well. Uh, just kind of the direction they're going in the offensive line. So I'm definitely interested to see that. What do you have anything else to add on the offensive line? 
Uh, not on the not so much. I think that the center position, like you said, is kind of key. And the other side of it too is within Minnesota's ranks last year for sure. A big part of Sherman's success. Again, you have to almost throw out the or almost have to definitely have to throw out the the RIP shout out for for Tony Sperano because he, he was such a big deal in, in making that offensive line happen. And, and again, he just passed away literally two days ago, uh, three days ago. So really sad, really sad to hear that. Um, but it was also Pat Elfine there being so versatile right. center position. So it's not just line calls. It's now the centers are much more involved as like a third, really a third guard, um, especially if you're going to run and not maybe not so much because the Giants are going to run maybe a little bit more tilted, more man, but the Giants are definitely going to run zone too. And so those types of rangy um, reach or space blocks, you're going to, you're going to want a good center there too. And so I think that's going to be kind of interesting. My bigger thing, Actually, <laughs> I hate to just focus on the positional players, but I think that actually the the kind of the sneaky one I think is Latimer um, in both the slot as well as X wide receiver. Um, I really think the more tape I've watched since the last time I did the original pre- preview on him, um, you know this guy's a this guy's a real athlete and he's a real asset that <clears throat> has gone overlooked. And yeah, he had issues in Denver, but you know this is a guy who can play, and I think he really wants to play and really needs to want to play now. Uh, this year and just you know that's something that Eli has not had besides Odell uh, in any part of the field um, you know a guy who can go up and make a catch who can make a tough catch for him and contest its base where Eli doesn't have to put it like kind of in a perfect perfect position um, and so I think that's something where you know not a fantasy player but that may be one to kind of watch in the especially in the early weeks. Yeah, and as you guys know, if you've listened in, um, me and Nick are big, big proponents of this not being much of a competition for that third receiver role. I know Andrew Sharp's in the mix. I know Roger Lewis is in the mix. I know Russell Shepard's in the mix. I know they might – some people think they might add someone. But Latimer is a guy who I think is really, really, really going to get it going early on in training camp and solidify this role. And as Shula said, listen, we're going to use these some deep routes to open up the underneath stuff and the intermediate stuff. And I think that can really be – one role he plays, taking the top off of defense with that four three nine speed and opening up something underneath. But then on the other flip side of things, you use Beckham in a role like that, and then you're getting these intermediate routes where he's going to see single coverage. And like you said, Eli doesn't have to put a perfect ball to him, and he can make a contested catch. So Latimer's a guy I'm definitely focusing on throughout camp. Um, obviously, the the obvious guy is Barkley. We're going we're to be focusing on him. We touched on Hernandez on the offensive side of the ball. Eli's a guy I also want to see, but I don't. I don't make too much. I don't take too much away from how the quarterbacks look personally in in training camp. Um, this is something that I've noticed over the years, but you know, you know, it's it's very different in training camp, even in the live padded practices. Now we might get a little more information when the Giants meet up with the Detroit Lions prior to the second preseason game on the seventeenth. They play the Lions, and I believe from the fourteenth through sixteenth they'll be practicing with the Lions in Detroit, which I'm really excited for. Finally, the Giants are doing this. They didn't do this at all with Ben McAdoo, which was obviously, I mean, to me, an unwise decision. I think this is an excellent decision to practice against another team for a multitude of reasons. But I think then we'll finally get kind of get to see a little bit of how Eli looks in this offense. Until then, I'm not. Uh, you know, it because again, remember when these quarterbacks are going up in practice, they're seeing the same defense and the same defensive players and the same defensive scheme every day. So I'm not as excited there as maybe some others will be from when they see the 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 you know the puff pieces that are bound to come from there. And then just on the defensive side of the ball, I think we touch on a lot today. There's a lot of moving pieces that I'm excited to see in all these roles we talked about. Um, we kind of dive dove a lot into the defense though, so we won't get too much into that is there anything else you wanted to add you know any any players you think will be better in pads anything like that any position battles you think could 
could surprise people before we before we sign off here, Nick? Uh, no, I think I think we hit I think we hit everything <laughs> a lot. My rage against the Roger, a lot of positions there. Yeah, I mean, this this was obviously more of a defensive minded podcast, but listen, guys, we're gonna be here all summer, all season, breaking it all down. Soon, we're gonna have some actual game tape to to go off of. The preseason's coming. And we're going to look into that, both me and Nick. So we got a lot more coming. Um, expect another one of these podcasts as we get a little into training camp with a few practices under belt. All we want is a few practices, and we'll, and we'll get some more information going. But thank you guys again for tuning in. Hopefully you guys learned something today about the Giants' defense, about really anything to do with the Giants um, that, that excites you guys. But um, we'll, we'll keep it coming this summer, no doubt. Um, Nick, anything else you want to add before we sign off with a little, little – oh, obviously, before before I sign off, it, I wouldn't be a podcast without a little bit of a shameless plug. Twitter handle, Dan Schneier NFL. That's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL on Twitter. But more importantly than any of that, for at least for me and Nick, would be if you guys liked what you heard today, if you like this podcast, help us grow it. Help us uh, get to the point where we can do a lot more of these. So you can find us on iTunes under Big Blue ba- Banter. Um, and you can also find us on a couple other places with Nickel Touch on because he knows a little bit more of the tech details on that. But really, if you can get on iTunes and just give us a, re- a review, just quickly just review the show, download the podcast, give us five stars or any kind of stars you want, hopefully five stars, we can start to move up that iTunes algorithm and get uh, get out to more people so we can build the show and have on some guests. I have some interesting ideas as it comes to guests for the season, which we'll touch on later in the podcast. Um, I got a couple got really good guys who do really good work at 24-7 Sports for other teams. So during the season, we're going to get them on before games, things like that. Hopefully, we can also get some players on, have built some relationships through my time working for 24-7 for the Giants. So, you know, big things are to come. Help us grow the podcast. Nick, do you want to sign off, give them your Twitter handle and what whatnot? Yeah, for sure. You know, just to, real quick on the uh, on the on the technical side with the podcast, kind of moving up in the world a little bit. You should be able to see it on more venues when we uh, release this one. Should be on Spotify. Uh, we will be on different uh, different more venues basically. And yeah, please leave a review, leave questions, leave leave uh, you know whatever you want to leave to me. For me, it'd <laughs> be great. Uh, my Twitter handle tmanic twenty one. Anyway, my work mostly at CoverOne.net, um, a Buffalo or a Buffalo-based group of guys that are kind of expanding. And uh, basically, um, I'm the New York Giants X's and O's guys. And the only little thing that I would like to kind of for a plug or for a whatever is um, the content does become premium after like a month, I think. So if you do want to join, it's kind of a low yearly rate to see all of my work for the entire year. If you mention my name at checkout. Uh, people helping people. It all kind of goes in the uh, in the good things in the good karma bowl. Um, and besides that, also over at insidethepylon.com, um, uh, where I kind of started out, uh, if you will. And so, yeah, uh, that's uh, that's it for me and psych to kind of get into the uh, into camp here. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks, guys and girls. Thanks again for tuning in. This is Big Blue Panther Banter, episode four. Uh, signing off now. Have a great rest of your summer and go Giants. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.